The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Our motto is get first so you don't miss out. Right? There is a, a limited pie of resources, of opportunities, of education, of promotions, of jobs. And if you don't get it first, somebody else is going to get it and you're going to miss out. And as a result, you and I have found ourselves incredibly susceptible to a lot of scams, haven't we? Why do we get tricked into scams? Because fundamentally we believe someone else is going to get something that we want. And so we got to get in quick while the getting's good before someone else gets it. And so you and I, we've learned, right? We've, we've made our mistakes. Think, think about some of the, maybe the financial mistakes you've made, right? Didn't most of them come as a result of you making a quick decision because you didn't want to miss out on an opportunity? So you, so you did what? You, you bought high, and because you bought high, you were forced to sell low. You bought too cheap because you were sold a lie. You bought too much thinking that you were getting such an incredible bargain. Meanwhile, somebody else was just trying to unload their junk on you. We make a lot of these mistakes because we make decisions about finances in a hurry and we're urgent because we don't want to miss out because someone else is going to get the deal of a lifetime. And so we got to buy the stock, buy the car, take the job, take the opportunity, get that loan. Meanwhile, there's a reason why others haven't quite jumped in just yet. And when you and I buy into that thinking of I've got to get or I'm going to miss out, it's because we're fundamentally believing something at the core of who we are, that we're just one getting away from our happiness, from arriving if we're just one getting away from our significance or our opportunity, right? If I could just get that raise, then. If I get that promotion, then. Oh, we'll have kids after we've gotten ourselves all financially secure. I'll, I'll finally take the time to write that book or do that crazy dream I've had in my heart. I'll take that missions trip when? See, we put all these qualifiers, all of these limits, all of these excuses on the big, bold, radical dreams we're going to live because we have to get first. Oh, we, we have good intentions, don't we, right? Some of us, we've played that game, right? Maybe you've played with your family or your friends. What will you do? What would you do if you won the lottery? And if the lottery's a half a billion dollars, you let your mind just start racing and running. And usually this is our list, right? We, here's what we'll do. First, I'm gonna take care of my own needs, right? I'm gonna like pay off my house, pay off my debt, maybe pay off your school loans. And, and, and then maybe you'll get yourself a few extra little wants, right? You'll get yourself a new car so you don't have to keep driving that clunker. Um, maybe you'll upgrade from that apartment to the little townhouse that you've kind of been had your eye on. Or maybe you'll even go crazy and you'll splurge a little bit more. And, and then you're gonna go on that vacation you've been really wanting to go on. And then you'll look out for a few other people. You're gonna pay off mom and dad house and get them a new car and then you start kind of like exploring right you're like man then I'm gonna I'm gonna fund an orphanage in Africa and maybe then I'll start giving to the church see we go we, we have this list if I get 
first, then I'll look out for myself, and then I'll look out for the closest people around me, then I'll look out for the issues and matters that I care about. But here's the thing, we don't live in an if world, we live in reality, don't we? And in reality, there is a limited pie of resources. There are a limited number of opportunities. A limited number of jobs. And I have a limited amount of money. And as a result, all of my money is divided up into very small pieces of the pie. And unfortunately, the, the house and the debt, it gets a big piece, right? And then food, I got to eat and feed my family. It gets a big portion. And, and so there's really not anything left. Now, if there was something left, I would be happy to share with you. If there was something left, God, I, I, would, I would just do what anything you wanted me to do. But there isn't anything left. That's reality. And you know what? This isn't just, you know, Patrick sharing some pithy ideas. This is reality, right? We live in a tough economy. We live in a tough economic world. People have been in and out of jobs. People who lost a great full-time job with benefits are now working three part-time jobs just scraping by. People who once lived in a nice house, comfortably able to keep it paid, now are living in apartments and barely making ends meet, right? Like, it, it's, this isn't just, the, the pie, the limited pie isn't theory, it's reality. It's my reality, it's your reality. And so we're gonna do something together. I'm gonna ask you to work with me. I'm, I'm gonna ask every one of you, you're gonna do something with me. Right now, hopefully most of you, you have a purse, you have a wallet, you have something in your pocket. And me, I hate carrying wallets. I just carry my cash and credit cards in my pocket. And so I want you to do this. I want you to take it out. Don't worry, I'm not gonna, I'm not, you're not gonna pass it to the sides. Look, I'm asking you right now, if you're watching online, you're gonna do this with me too, all right? You're gonna get your money out of your pocket. You're gonna go get your wallet. And I want you to hold it in your hand. You're gonna hold it. This is going to be revival for you. This, is, this, this exercise, I am telling you, is going to change your life. You're going to do this with me. I want you to hold it in your hand. And I want you to hold it as tight, like a little bit tight, all right? Because that's how most of us act with our money. Now, here, here's what we're going to do. Here's why. Because with one hand, I want you to hold your money, and if you have your phone that you use to read the Bible, or maybe you have a Bible, or, or you're going to read it on the screen, we're going to read the Bible and hold it with our other hand. Here's why. Jesus, one day when he's teaching, he says, man cannot serve both God and money. With this exercise, this is going to create a crystal clear reality in your mind and in your heart about who you are worshiping. Who is your God? Who are you serving? Who's got a grip on your heart the most? What controls your hands and your head and your heart? What's in your hands or what's in your heart? Here, here's the thing. Whatever you worship is going to drive your priorities. It's going to drive how you spend and how you use your time and your treasures, your schedule. So with this in your hand, I'm going to shift your attention to the book of Acts. 
And in the, the book of Acts is written by a guy named Luke who had firsthand experience of living and following Jesus, spending time around Jesus and his followers. And then he wrote a sequel to his gospel according, a gospel of Jesus from his perspective to the second part, the sequel, which is the book of Acts, which is the historical account of the early church. Meaning the people who remained after Jesus died, rose again and ascended into heaven. They were the ones left carrying the message of Jesus. Now, before we get into talking about money and how this often has a grip on our heart and life because our mentality is get first so you don't miss out, let, let's put a little bit of context to what's going on in this story. The early church, it's set in a, in a time and in a nation of incredible poverty, a, a nation that's oppressed by the Roman Empire. They are not self-governing. They are not sovereign. They are ruled. They are oppressed. People uh, are, are in the poorest states. They live devastated. And then the Christians among them are the most marginalized, abused, misused, and persecuted in a nation that is oppressed and persecuted. These are the weakest and the most limited. And in a community of the most marginalized, misused, and abused, poorest people, here's what we read about this early group, first group of people who were following Jesus in the first century. We're gonna read from Acts chapter four, verse 32. And we're gonna read this, right? Hold this in your hand. Now, we're gonna keep holding this and we're gonna read, and we're gonna read, look at it, right? All the believers were in one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. This is crazy. This is the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit. But when you read the story, you're like, my mind is blown. This doesn't resonate with this. But this is my, my manuscript for life and living. There's something radically different about the way they lived versus the way we live, which is to get first so I don't miss out. And they live in such a radically different way, but maybe, just maybe, what they had is what we need. Maybe what they had is actually what would give us significance and, and hope and purpose and meaning in life. Maybe what they had is what we most lack because what we have isn't filling the lack in our hearts. Maybe we have so much that we don't have the very things we hope to get. And so I want to pull a principle right off the pages for you. And the principle is very simple. We're leveraging the Olympic spirit and the Olympic uh, metaphor to challenge us to live a new and different way. And, and so I want to challenge you that, you know, much like the Olympic athletes didn't start out as Olympic athletes. 
They started out as hardworking, striving people in gyms and, and pools and on the roads just trying. And when they fell, they got up. And when they were hurt, they got better and they kept working and striving. And they were willing to be the first to fail. And that's why so many of them succeeded. And I want to challenge you. This is the principle that jumps off the pages of the historical narrative of the early church. And it's a challenge to how we are invited to live. And with this in your hand, with your purse, your wallet, with your credit cards. I want you to, with the other hand, write this down or type it into your smartphone or on your tablet. Be the first to give. Be the, be the first to take a step of courageous faith toward generosity. Now, I want to challenge you with this. As you're writing it, torn with the tension of this in one hand, and maybe some of you aren't even coordinated enough that, that you can't really do this. You're trying to hold it, and it's, your phone's going to fall. You're not going to be able to write it. He, he, here's what I want you to know, that this challenge I just gave you is impossible. You're going to fail trying. Here's why. Because you and I are hardwired to get we're hardwired to get because we don't want to miss out because there's a fundamental drive inside of each one of us that is motivated by selfishness. Selfishness comes from a root drive called sin. Sin is the core nature. It's our operating system. Not, not just, you know, the person sitting next to you. Me. Yeah, your, your pastor has a core operating system called sin. You have a core operating system called sin that stirs a drive toward selfishness that causes you to make decisions that are selfish that results in be selfish behavior. Did you, did you see the progression there? We come from having an operating system of sin that generates decisions of selfishness that create beha selfish behavior. Now, here is the reality. You and I, because we have a core operating uh, system of sin, we are on a crash course with ruin. Sin has wrecked our lives, every one of us, and it makes it impossible for us to morally try hard to be selfless. We can't do what goes against our nature. Apple trees don't produce oranges. People who have an operating system of sin don't become selfless. No matter how hard they try, even our most generous acts are motivated by greed. So, there is a problem. Because selfishness rooted in sin is at work sabotaging our best intentions of, of generosity. And worse, this sin, which pushes us contrary to God toward our own instincts and our own desires, leads to an ultimate ruin, an ultimate debt of eternal judgment, where we go on living forever, paying the consequence for the sin that's driving our heart and life. But God intervened in our story. Every one of our stories, Jesus Christ comes to earth. God becomes man so that he can take the debt of man on himself and pay for it with his own death on a cross so that his death becomes the eternal payment for the eternal judgment that we all owed as a consequence for the driving sin force in our heart and life. When Jesus died, he died once for all so that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith is forgiven of their sins. That debt that is placed on every one of us so that we face an eternal judgment has been removed. 
When you believe in Jesus Christ by faith, debt is removed from your heart and life, and in place, the generosity of God is deposited into your spirit. And the way that works spiritually is that the Holy Spirit of God, which is invisible and eternal, comes and makes his home inside of our eternal invisible spirit. His spirit becoming the deposit of God into our spirit, expressing to us his generosity, his love through forgiveness, through his kindness, through his grace, giving us not only what we don't deserve, but not giving us what we did deserve, judgment and wrath. Now, here's what happens. When God's spirit is alive in our spirit, we begin to become more like God. God, who expressed through the author John one of the most fundamental and foundational truths in all of the word of God. For God so loved the world that he... I don't think you all got it. And so I get it. If you don't know that passage... um, I'm gonna give you a hint. It sounds a lot like gave, all right? So, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have received eternal life. There's another one, Romans chapter five, verse eight. Uh, God demonstrated his love toward us in this way, that while we were of no use whatsoever toward him, meaning we had nothing to give him, he You guys are catching on. He gave his one and only son in sacrificial death. See, God does not come demanding something from us first. God comes giving. God came being generous toward us. God comes offering love, offering forgiveness, offering hope, offering salvation first. Jesus came first asking nothing in return. He knew that there was nothing we could do to earn it. There was nothing we could do to deserve it. There was nothing we could do to respond to him. The only thing we could do is receive what God had to give, what God did give through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, once you receive from the generosity of God, the spirit of God in you compels you to become generous like him. In essence, when you receive God, you start to become like God. Let me be very careful there. You don't become God. You don't become a God. You start to become more like God. God is a giver. When you become like God, you become a giver. God gave. When we're like God, we begin to give. So when we read about this early church, here's what we can often do. We we can think corporately. Well, the church gave. Those who had more gave much. Those who had little, they they were off the hook. They didn't have to give anything. But that's not really what's going on here. Everyone in the group is persecuted. Everyone is suffering. Everyone's living under threat. And so let's make it really personal. So we're gonna go down to the very next verse, verse 36. So it's gonna go from corporate to individual and personal. Joseph a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, which is the uh, antithesis of some of the things some of you called other people, right? So he's the son of encouragement, and uh, that kind of begins to define who he is. Here's what 
Barnabas does. He sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So here's this guy. He's not sitting around waiting for someone else to be generous. He's not waiting for someone else to become the reflection of the love of God. He looks at what he has and says, you know what? I need to sell this land and I'm going to take the money and I'm going to give it to the church so that the church can meet the needs of the community. Here's what we quickly learn. To give first, we, we have to be willing to do this. Be the first to share. That means when I look at the pie I have, I've got to be willing to say, not if I get more will I give, but out of my lack, out of my limited resources, out of this right here, I have got to be willing to take from the portion I already have and begin to give as an act of faith to God. Now, I get it. Some of you are sitting there thinking, this is crazy talk. I mean, some of you, maybe you have given and you told some at work, man, I gave some money to the church. And they're like, what? Why would you do that? That's crazy. Because when I become like God, I'm willing to become like God in generosity, which means I'm willing to be the first to give, first to fail, first to open up my resources and say, God, I'm going to give it to you. Even if it makes me look silly or ridiculous, even if I look a little bit like Barnabas, who's this son of encouragement, who's like, you know what? I have a I have a field, I'm going to sell it. Now remember, this would have been common. People had land. They were farmers. That's all they had. So he probably took the land that he inherited. He took a portion of it and he sold it. He sold some of what was precious to him, some of his pie. Here's the thing. This series being called first to fail, which means I've got to be willing to give first rather than get first. Now, people fundamentally understand this. Ask anyone who is successful in business, anyone who has succeeded in life, and here's what you're going to very quickly learn from them. They sacrificed first. They they gave first. They invested first. And they gave and invested and worked hard with no promise of success. They put in long hours when no one was watching. They were up before everyone else, and they went to bed after everyone else. And if you go back and you listen to this story, you're going to hear a story of a lot of sweat and a lot of blood and a lot of hard work. They were the ones in the arena when no one even knew they were there. They They were laboring and striving and working. They were giving first before they had the promise of success. Now, let's apply that to our spiritual lives, to our faith lives, to our finance lives. That means I've got to be willing to give first with no promise of getting anything in return in this life. That means I'm saying, God, like Barnabas, I trust that everything I have is from you. I trust that everything I have was given from heaven. God, the breath in my lungs, the ability to earn an income, my talents, my skills, it all came from heaven. It's all a gift from God. And therefore, God, I believe that everything you've given me was given so that I could become like you and become a giver. Now, with this in your hand, I wanna wanna invite you and challenge you. There is an intelligent evil sourced from hell that is motivating your heart toward greed. Then there is the all-knowing God of heaven who is compelling and transforming your heart toward generosity. 
I want to challenge you to respond to hell's greed with heaven's generosity. Maybe some of you need to begin to whisper that right now. With, with, with your wallet, your purse, with your credit cards in your hand, you're going to begin to say, I will respond to hell's greed with heaven's generosity. Some of you, you are one step of generosity away from discovering the destiny of God. What is holding you back from breaking through into the purposes of God is your heart of greed. Because you're looking to get, you will never be able to discover destiny because God's destiny for your life is not about you. And so long as your eyes are on you, so long as your finances are about you, you cannot discover the great promises and purposes of God. You might be one step of generosity away from discovering the destiny of God. Here is the principle. Running as a thread throughout all of Scripture, there is a principle of sacrificial generosity. You are called to be like God, to become sacrificially generous. The way we apply that practically is through a pattern. And we see it running also like a thread. Now, this isn't a rule. It's not a command. The command is sacrificial generosity. Living your life open-handed. A pattern we see specifically regarding finances, is that of people who were open-handed, who were following sacrificial generosity, began to give a portion of their income to God. Old Testament law commanded 10%, but New Testament grace invites us to a pattern of 10% to apply the principle of sacrificial generosity. You see the difference? It's not a law. It's not a command. It's not religion. It's a relationship with God where I'm becoming more like God by becoming a giver. And as I'm becoming a giver, I am willing to become a tither, giving 10% of my income to God. Now, there it was, right? Some of you, you just tightened up a little bit, right? That's why I said, this is going to rock your world. This is going to change your life. Some of you got, you got a little tighter grip. You're white-knuckling it right now because you're thinking, here it is. Here's another church trying to get my money. Look, I don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. You need God's heart. God doesn't need your money. You need the generosity of God. Because without the generosity of God, you and I are on a crash course trajectory with eternal judgment. But I know that when God gets my money, he's got my heart. I want to give you a brutal reality. The vast, vast majority of you will be tempted and probably will ignore what I just said. And it will hold you back. The great love of God and experience the promises of God the rest of your life. Statistically speaking, across our entire nation, a nation that still is dramatically engaged in the church on a weekly basis. 8% of Christians are actively giving a tithe of their money to God. 8%. I'm not saying that to guilt you. I'm saying that to say there's only two things that God requires when he gives you the command to live sacrificially generous, and that is to be obedient, to trust him more than you trust your own financial savvy, which has so often gotten us into trouble, to be obedient, and then to be faithful, to do the right thing and then do it long enough. But let me 
respond to that brutal reality with a beautiful promise. You may be one step of generosity away from experiencing the promises and purposes of God that he has put in front of you as his divine destiny for your life. Are you willing to respond and simply say, yes, God, I will trust you. I'll be willing to be the first to share what I have with you through the church by caring about people and serving other people believing that my sacrificial generosity will not only transform the world around me, but it will transform my heart. Now, let me keep reading. I don't want you to, I don't want you to miss out on the rest of this. I'm going to jump ahead to Acts chapter 9. We're going to keep our focus on this guy named Barnabas. Barnabas, uh, he shows up a couple times in the story of Acts. The first is this time where he is the first to share. Second is this. There's this guy named Saul who is killing Christians murdering them. Saul has an encounter where he meets Jesus on his way to another slaughter. But now he's got nowhere to turn because the Christians think he's trying to kill them and he can't go back to the Jews because he's been converted to Christianity and so he's kind of stuck. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. This is Acts chapter 9, verse 26. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas this son of encouragement took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas leverages his reputation, his good name to promote Saul, the killer of Christians. You want to be the first to give? To give first, we've got to be willing to be the first to care. Not only the first to share, but the first to care. Barnabas had a lot to lose. If he's wrong about the reputation of Saul, if he's wrong about the transformation of Saul, this could cost a lot of Christians their lives. But Barnabas is willing to not just share his resources, but care about people. So he steps out first and vouches for Saul. I'll speak for him, I'll defend him, I'll tell everyone that trusts me that they should trust Saul. I know he used to be a killer, but God has got a hold of his heart and I care about him. I'm not only sharing what I have, but I care for those that God has put in front of me. I wanna invite you to be a person who is quick to care. Care for others. Care for people when no one else will. You be the first one to step out and build someone up. Most businesses, most people live their lives with a mentality of get first so I don't miss out, which means I'm going to put high pressure sales tactics on you to get you to buy because it's more about me getting my commission than it is you getting what you need. But you know what? Having learned this not only in the nonprofit world, the church world, but even in business world, there's a profound lesson. If you'll be first to care you'll actually be far more successful and effective at life. If you're a salesman, a business owner, this applies in marriage and home and family, this applies in friendships. If you will focus more on adding value to others, you will be surprised at how loyal, trusting, and committed they will be. You'll probably be able to sell anything 
if you focus more on caring about people and adding value to their lives than what you can get from them. Barnabas was not focused on what he could get from Saul, but what he could give to Saul, how he could care for Saul. Let me, let me give you a couple challenges. Focus on adding value. Support others first. You might be one act of caring away from a life of significance. You find people that feel the most significant in life. They, they look at their life and they feel like their life has value and meaning and purpose. It's because they've spent their life giving it away. They've spent their life caring for others more than caring for themselves, which means you might be one act of caring away from discovering a life of significance. Get your eyes off of what you can get and more focus on what you can give. So here's what I want you to do. I not only want you to respond to hell's greed with heaven's generosity, but I want you to respond to hell's selfishness with heaven's selflessness. Be the first to care. First to defend the weak and stand up for the marginalized and speak up against injustice. Leverage your gifts your talents, your reputation for the reputation of those that might be looked at today as killers of Christians. I'm reluctant, but I think it's very fitting. Won't tell you the place, but right now, in, there are cities that are being, where Christians are being slaughtered in mass by terrorist groups that are across the news today. We, we know the names of specific individuals that are on the ground who are leading people to Christ. One story where one, two of these young men who were being, in the process of being trained to be terrorists were met and led to Christ. But they didn't know what to do. So they, they just began to quietly tell their fellow terrorist teammates about Jesus. One of them find, you know, gets irritated and puts a, a bomb at their door to blow up their house kills one of their family members, but those two survive. And so they, they don't know what to do. And so they, they make a similar bomb. And they put it by the door of that, their house. And these are friends. These are guys who spend time together. And they put a note on it. We were once as you are, but no more. They, and they hit the door and walked away. They come to the door and the bomb doesn't go off. They pick up the note and they go looking for them and say, how can I get what you have? Guys, that's happening today because there are people who are focused more on what they can give, on how they can care for others than defend themselves. When my probably my second favorite non-biblical quote. The first favorite one is the one you heard as we opened this series, but my second one is written by a chaplain named uh, Daryl Britton, and he, he says this, I want to stand before God sweaty, tired, and broke because I invested my life and resources in the kingdom of God and for the benefit of others. 
I did not spend my life trying to get so I don't miss out. I spent my life giving and giving and giving. And when it hurt, I gave more so that when I finally make it before the throne of God, I will be battered and broken. My bank accounts will be exhausted. I'll have nothing left, nothing left to give, nothing left to serve. I will have exhausted myself for the purposes of God. Because as Jim Elliott, a missionary who was later martyred for his faith said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose now with your finances in one hand. What are you worshiping today? What has got your heart? Be the first to give. I'm not saying this so the church can have more. I think we have a proven track record that when people give to LifeHouse, we're gonna give it right back out. We're gonna be the wisest stewards of the resources invested. We're gonna make it our mission to be generous in our city and across the globe. But this isn't about LifeHouse. This is about your heart. So I want you to respond right now. What is God speaking to your heart? Some of you, you're gripped by sin and it's driving selfishness and it's pushing you further and further away from God, but you're hearing this right now and it's time for you to respond. And so would you be willing to open your heart and say yes to Jesus? He gave his life so you can be freed from the grip of sin and the force of selfishness. For some of you, that means right now it's your moment to say, Jesus, I believe in you as my Lord and Savior. I give you my heart. Holy Spirit, come in me. Forgive me of sin. Others of you, you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you are not living it. You are living selfish. You are living self-serving. You are looking to get rather than give. And today is a moment of sacrificial surrender to say, God, take my heart. And if you need to get through my wallet to get to my heart, then I give you whatever I have. Would you allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to you right now? Would you quiet your spirit and let God's spirit speak to you? And would you just begin to pray obediently before God? Would you take that moment and pray? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.